Yo, Vince, what's up, dude? How are you? Yo, what's going on? How you been? Been good, man. I, uh, you know, w- let's go ahead and document this off the top because normally I don't date my shows, but this is kind of an important date in uh, sports history, and I know that you're a sports guy. Uh, yesterday, we saw LeBron James become the all-time leading scorer in the NBA. Uh, he is, did. Is now the time to finally say that LeBron James is the greatest player of all time? <clears throat> so... You know, I, I was just debating this today with a couple of friends. Yeah. Everyone knows I'm a big Indiana guy, big Pacers fan. So I have certain feelings towards LeBron, but I I have to you gotta give credit where credit's due. I mean, the longevity, the the expectations he had came coming out, like he surpassed everything. I mean, he's just he's done it. He's proved it time after time and again. And I, as it hurts as an Indiana fan, he's <laughs> he's the greatest. He is the greatest of all time. Well, I was saying, dude, you know, I I told mom yesterday, I'm like, LeBron James has been kicking the Pacers ass for the better part of 20 years. I mean, prior to this game, just a few games ago, he was in Indiana, you know, working his way toward the record. And uh, once again, at the last second, he was able to steal the victory away from Indiana. So that's just habit for for LeBron at this point. And it hurts. But like, I mean, like you said, I mean. You have to give credit. You have to give the credit. He's gone. He's won everywhere he goes. There's question about who he brings with him and how he runs things when he gets there, but he gets it done regardless. And that's what you that's what you ask for from a player. Get it done. Win me games. And he's doing it. <laughs> well, uh, let me welcome you to the show, Vince. Uh, thanks for making time to be here, dude. Uh, we are classmates uh from the university of indianapolis having done uh communication studies there and uh yeah hounds helping hounds man you know und was the only school that i applied to wanting to do radio and tv as my primary study um what made und the right choice for you the facilities as soon as and and the faculty as soon as you got there for a visit they they match you up with with what you think you're gonna do Mm-hmm. And it just kind of connects you right away. You get a feel for what's expected almost. And it just, it just felt like a fit. You just, you just fit right in when you know what you're doing. Uh, I think we had the luxury. Uh, I was going to ask what you thought of Scott Eaker as a radio uh, professor, because, you know, he runs WICRFM and had a multitude of professional experience before becoming a professor and that helps us as, as alums to be able to get jobs and network a little bit. Oh, for sure. Um, he was part of the reason I have the job I have now, kind of. He, uh, he mentioned it to me, but he, he was always willing to reach out to someone if you, if you needed him. And there's not a lot of people like that anymore. It seems like a lot of people just want to kind of gatekeep the information on on what you need to do and and he kind of laid it out for us and he set expectations and realities of what's going to be expected of you in the real world and it it was a huge help he's a great guy i I, nothing but but good to say for him he's a great guy me too man and uh where are you from originally you're not from indianapolis no i'm originally from lafayette so purdue country i was a i was a jefferson bronco uh, did you play high school sports when you were? Yeah. Yeah. I played football all four years in high school. I was the, the class that kind of helped turn the program around up there. It was uh, Brian Moore and Pat Shanley, who's now their head coach. Uh, it was all of their first year. We hadn't had a winning record in like, 
don't know, since like 2008 or something, 2012, something like that. Uh-huh. And we, we were able to finally get one back. So it felt good, especially to see them now. They're, uh, <laughs> they're doing some big things up there. What's the key to rebuilding a program? You, you got to get the younger kids to buy in. And that's starting fifth grade, sixth grade, even, even earlier, fourth grade. Um, they have what was called 56ers and, and 40, 49ers. I think it was, it was for like third and fourth graders and fifth and sixth graders before you get to junior high, which was what fed into Jeff and everyone then kind of played from all the schools around. So you'd have McCutcheon and central Catholic and Harrison and West Lafayette. They all played in this little league and then they broke out to their own schools and now they're they they're local. Everything feeds in, starting with their with their fifth and sixth grade team. Uh, it's all at, I think Sunnyside is the name of the the middle school still. They'll mm-hmm. feed into Tecumseh, which feeds into Jeff, and it's all continuous. And they're learning those playbooks earlier, and they're they're knowing what's expected, and they're and they're meeting those expectations. Well, and see, I, I did broadcasting for Carmel and did uh, two seasons of their uh, football games. And I never had the the fortune to play uh, because of my disability. I mean, that was just a, a no go. But uh, as far as when you think about the game of football, was the psychological effect of like I don't want people coming toward me, so I'm not going to play offense, or you know, or was it I want to be a defender so that I can hit people? I think there is a, a psychological thing of either wanting to hit or not wanting to get hit as an offensive player. At least it would be for me. Yeah, it's the it, I like to play both sides, and I think the people who really like to play the sport would would all say the same. Like, just put me out in the field. Yeah. Um, but as you start to to find your space and like what you're good at, I was, I was short. I'm, I'm five eight, and I played offensive line at a six A school, so it was it, it was kind of hard to find my fit early because they had like weight limits on what position you could play in the in the feeder programs, and they my my weight put me at no lineman. That's just what I kind of played. And, yeah. You get comfortable with it, but I, the coaches know what they're doing. And if they they see you have a certain ability, they're going to help you perfect that. Um, going back to you getting to UND and, and studying radio and TV was part of the reason that you did communication. At least this was in my case. Uh, you didn't want to do math, wanted to avoid math. <laughs> the math part helped. Uh, it was yeah. more of a... Like I said, I'm 5'8", and I played O-line in high school. I'm not going to transition well to anywhere else. Yeah. Um, so my my playing days were done, and I wanted to stay around sports. I, I loved sports growing up. That was my sanctuary, and it helps it helped ease into what isn't that doesn't feel like a job. Right. Well, and um, did your parents were they a little worried at you going into communication? I mean, it's it's certainly not the most stable uh, career path uh, that people can pick. <laughs> no, they weren't really worried. They were happy I was going to college and doing what I wanted to do. And I had been doing radio programs in high school. So they they knew that I had I knew what I was doing. <laughs> they yeah. didn't really have an idea of it because neither one of them went to college. So they don't really know. It was always the, hey, go to college and do better than us. Right. And so they were just happy that I was that I was moving. I was doing it. <laughs> what when you uh, look back at all of the classes that you took, uh, what was the toughest one? What was the one that you had the toughest time with? Uh, mm. It would have to be a toss up between Dr. Cohen's research methods, yeah, 
and hmm. Comtech with uh with Scott senior year. Yeah, Those I took both, both of uh, Both interesting challenges. Um, you know, Cohen being Cohen, <laughs> and um, my senior year getting disrupted with COVID. So switching right. from all the stuff that we were supposed to be doing in class to now having <laughs> to do online. No one really kind of knowing what they were doing. It was, yeah. it was difficult. Let me ask you because I I forgot about <laughs> the the COVID thing is still hard to believe now that we're three years removed from it. But right. um, did you ever think about withdrawing with, with the way that all that went down? No, it, that was my senior year, so it was right second semester. I I mean it was really just coasted like nobody really knew what we were doing we were just kind of talking online every week acting like everything was okay and at that point you're halfway through the semester because it was right after spring break I was just like I was like I'm done really like this is nobody really cares at this point everyone's kind of freaking out so yeah um another aspect of college that was tough for me for one semester because I had to catch up I was somebody that wanted to do it later on in my academic career but what was a class outside of communication that you learned something important hmm. outside of communication <laughs> that's a you, tough one yeah I didn't um it's funny I was actually just looking at my transcripts the other day I did not do very well in any class that wasn't communications it was all like c's like c minuses a couple of d's but like just enough to get me over that that hey please get degrees man that's what they say <laughs> <laughs> so. um, i think one of the most like fun classes that i had outside of communications was the uh was the coaching classes like they did the coaching yeah. football coaching softball uh-huh. uh softball was one that got canceled because of covid um so it was just kind of watch videos to teach people how to pitch and stuff like that but the football one was cool i like how they broke down each each position and kind of went over different things like it wasn't deep into oh I'm gonna teach you a cover two and stuff like that it was just the just the general idea of if you wanted to go coach some kids you know your positions you know what their responsibilities are you know the rules of the game uh for some reason uh, for part of the degree that I had you had to get like a hands-on production or art credit and I took uh theater production which you know that showed how all the sets were built and stuff that was pretty cool to learn about and then um I also took fundamentals of officiating. Um, It was kind of an athletic course where you learned about referees and and their job, which I thought was kind of cool for uh, sports commentating. Um, I always thought officiating would be an extremely fun job because at the end of the day, you're watching athletes play a sport that you probably like. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, parents can get out of control or whatever, (laughs) but I mean, it's still, it's still a cool gig. Like, especially if you're a professional referee like yeah it's pretty cool (laughs) well and a reminder to parents like most referees are making what 20 bucks a game i mean yeah maybe like a hundred dollars on the day if it's a tournament something like that so um you know one thing about college that can get to people uh depending on the high school that they come from and the expectations that they had is like time management (laughs) uh do you remember getting on campus and sort of being overwhelmed even I was certainly in, my, in the beginning. Um, at the beginning, I don't think it was overwhelming. I think it was more toward the middle where I'd set heavy expectations myself. 
like my first year, I wanted to make sure I got stuff done instead of ahead of the curve. It was more toward the middle where it's like, okay, I've been here for a couple of years and my classes are kind of easy and some are kind of hard. And right. Trying to figure out where I can put stuff off versus where I can't. Um, there, yeah, there was definitely times in the middle where it's like very hard to determine which one was more important to me at the time. Well, I'm with your job now at uh, ISC Sports Network, uh, which mm-hmm. is a really cool position. How important is like networking uh, to get to that point? Because it doesn't matter how talented you are. If you don't have the contacts to get in the door somewhere, uh, you know, you, you do need that part of the equation. So, yeah, networking was really big when it came to even getting on with them as a freelancer. Mm-hmm. Um, I was post-pandemic looking for a job took me forever because you know sports had stopped in 2020 so there really weren't weren't any new jobs and as they became available they're really just bringing people back and I uh I got hired as a freelancer up for TV 40 in Noblesville and I met a guy there who knew just seems like he knew everybody uh he had gave me like a couple of side gigs with him and then he had gave me my my boss's number or email and said, Yeah, hey, just tell me you know me and that you're just looking for some work and they'll put they'll put you on a schedule. And sure enough, he re- he reached back to me and he's yeah. like, Yeah, uh, we'll we'll take anybody once. We'll we'll see what you can do. And they put me on a couple of games. I guess I did good enough running cameras for them. Uh just built reputation with them throughout the uh summer and the position became available. Applied with the with the encouragement of Scott. I applied and awesome. Um, so what are the different roles that you have with uh, ISC? Um, so my main one is producer slash director. Um, so Mondays we'll film Quarian Schultz up at the studio in Mulberry. It's pretty pretty straightforward, uh, two person podcast. You know, with three cameras. Um, they do all the work there. I don't really do much, but take the cameras. It's it's very easy up there. Yeah, and then uh game wise depending on what the uh what the schedule looks like we're going to have one or two events a night uh, if we have one it's typically me and my my coworker and the other producer and director who will will arrive at the school five hours before the game or whatever and set up together um when it's nights like that and both of us are there we'll just kind of on and off direct he'll do one game i'll do another um i'll either run replay or I'll run cameras if I'm not directing for them. Or if it's a night where we have two events, then I'll be in charge of one truck. He'll be in charge of another. He'll go one place. I'll go another. And those nights I'm always directing. Well, and, uh, you know, one thing that I learned working with the Colts for a few seasons is that it takes a lot of uh, labor to put on a broadcast. I mean, how challenging is that job to to run camera? And it would be hard for me to sometimes pay attention and follow the ball because I'm I'm sort of a fan. <laughs> that, that would be a difficult part too. So on camera, I, I'm kind of the same way, except I'm I'm so into the game that I'm I do want to follow the ball and I want to see where it's going at all times. And then I also just have that slight memory in the back of my head. It's like I want I want a really cool shot. So if this highlight ends up somewhere like I want to be able to say, Hey, like I was on camera. Like that's my camera shot. Yeah. Like that looks super cool. So I think it's really easy to get lost in the game. And I feel it's just, it's just all motion. I just, I'm watching the game, following the ball. I feel like 
for someone like yourself, if you if you feel like that way, you could mm-hmm. run a game, uh, like the main game camera, because at that point there's not real a lot of zooming. It's really just back and forth, and you're just watching the game through your through your viewfinder. Well, and um, you know, I, I find it really interesting all the parallels between sports and media. Uh, and you you mentioned that you played football. How did the lessons that you learned in sports apply toward media? Because <laughs> we've been through productions with TV and different things. You need, you need folks to work together in order for it to be successful. Um, when it comes to media, it, you, you gotta know how to read a room. I, I guess mm-hmm. I would say, um, kind of know, you gotta know, know the athlete or, or coach you're talking to, I'd say, because some, you know, even though it might've been like a bad game or something like really made them mad that game. You want you want to find out the story. You want to find out their thoughts behind it, and it, it all comes down to just knowing who you're talking to and having a good reputation with them, and and having that trust that you're not going to spin their words or try to make it about one person because it's a team game. Yeah, the players know that, coaches know that, media knows it, but they always try to make it. Oh well, it's this player or it's this coach, and it it can come back and bite you. Well, it's something that you did at UND was be a sideline reporter. And that was always kind of challenging to me because you want to provide that extra element in, in a broadcast. Uh, were you ever nervous being a sideline reporter, having to talk directly to a coach and ask him a question? Um, I would say when I started doing the sideline reporting, not so much nervous anymore because I had done radio for so long at that point. I'd already had a little bit of a reputation with those coaches. Um, right. But Stan Gerard, great coach always knew kind of what to say was always very friendly and willing to talk to us despite an outcome. Like he'll be, he'll, there's games he's been mad, trust me, mm-hmm. but he'll come down and he'll talk to you. And he know he knows what's wrong and he knows that we know what was wrong. And so we want to ask him like his thoughts on it. And same goes for um, the women's coach at the time, Kristen Woodridge. She was great. She was, she was hard to get into a little, a little bit. Sometimes she, mm-hmm. when she was mad, she would, kind of bottle up and you kind of have to know, okay, you're not going to get the answers that you want from this person because, because of the outcome or because of the situation, how can I get her to give me something mm-hmm. that's going to open them up a little bit more? And that was kind of a, a struggle at times. Well, and, and an important element of that is like preparation and the ratio that I learned from Scott was three hours of prep for every hour that you're on the air. Yeah. What's your process for preparing? Um, so I haven't broadcasted since college, actually. Yeah, but my process was always, depending on game, it was typically, you know, the weekend. Um, I'd start Monday updating rosters, updating stats, updating schedules, stuff like that, and try to find any storylines that happened in the last game. Right. Um, just kind of catch up with anything new on on the Greyhounds because that was the home team we always covered. Um catch up with them Monday early in the week and then spend the rest of the week gathering the opponent information, reading through all the player bios, reading through all their stats, who's teetering on records, who's did good last year, you know, try to find like the the patterns in, in their team. Mm-hmm. Um, Stuart Scott was one of my favorite sports center anchors growing up, you know, when he would say cooler than the other side of the pillow and booyah, yeah. you know, all the, all the catchphrases, uh, are you a catchphrase guy or is that sort of annoying to, to you? 
I, it depends on the catchphrase, you know, the iconic bang for after the three, like that's a, that's a good one. It can be overused. It can be overused, but in, in the heat of the moment, when it's two squads going back and forth and one team finally hits that three from the corner, bang, like Uh, uh (laughs) it's different, but I don't want to hear the same thing over and over again. Well, and see like Gus Johnson, who I think is really enthusiastic, but can maybe go a little too far sometimes. Like he he did theater and and, and did some acting. Like, did you do any of that to uh, prepare for being a sports broadcaster? No, never. I uh, I think I did maybe when I was in like elementary school. I did a a YMCA theater thing, but I I'm not a I liked radio because I was not on camera and no one kind of knew who I was. I'm not a big on camera, give me all the attention kind of person. Right. So I don't, I don't like to be in front of people, in front of people <laughs> like that. Well, Hey, thanks for making time to, to be here to be, <laughs> yeah, to be sure. in front of the camera. Uh, <laughs> I will say, you know, that, that is sort of uh, how important is being anonymous to you? Uh, because a lot of broadcasters that I know, even if they're, doing a podcast you know sometimes they don't you know they get disrupted in their daily life and it's sort of strange (laughs) to them you know i I don't i wouldn't say so much be like anonymous like i said like if i if i shot something really cool like i want people to know i i shot that shot that shot yeah but i don't like i said i don't want to be on the camera like hey this this is me look at me i'm talking kind of thing like i don't i don't i don't want people to look at me like that (laughs) <laughs> I want people to look at me and say that that's a good camera guy. He should be on your crew. Or you that's go. a that's a good replay or that's a good director. Like use him. There you go. Um, you know, uh talking about Query and Schultz, uh what what do you think of those guys? How, how do you like working with them? Those two are so unique because they're <laughs> you can never sometimes tell, especially as the new guy, yeah. if they're joking or not. Like obviously they're joking right. 99% of the time. But it was kind of coming in. It's just like, like these two are just. Sometimes it almost seems like they don't mesh, but they mesh so perfectly that. Yeah. And Jake, you know, the way Jake is on the show, isn't really how he is in real life. Like he just seems like he's always so distracted on the show. But when you're sitting there having a conversation with him off air, it's like he's right there with you. Well, and a lot of people, depending on the format or the program director that you run into, like. Jake Query will go go a different direction or pull up something that isn't sports. Are you irritated by that, or do you want them to stay in their lane with just sports? It's their show. I'm just there to, right. to yeah. get the cameras on. So I, I love the conversation. They they keep me laughing in the control room, and you know uh, I got great Greg Greg Shaw on the graphics, and he's the one putting up all those uh, smarky comments on the bottom of the screen most of the time. So they they flow really well together. And they have, they have a great show. It's been so fun watching them do it live. I never really paid. I've saw the clips on Twitter before I started full time with them, and you know some of them were funny or whatever, and some of them were really good. I never really watched any of the episodes, but since I started working and watching them every week, I'm like, yeah, I I hate when I'm not up there to watch it. <laughs> like I have to watch it that night. Absolutely. Um, 
for folks who want to learn more about uh, Corey and Schultz program, uh, Derek was episode number 55 on this podcast. So you can go back in the archives, to listen nice. to that. Still working on uh, getting Jake on the program. We got to sink in a time. Uh, it's, it's tough to book him, but. We'll, oh yeah, he is. You got to get him right after he gets off the air. <laughs> well, all his we'll, brain's still going. <laughs> yeah. We'll, we'll get him down the line eventually, but um speaking of you running camera for all different events with isc uh sports network uh have you ever done a pacers game where you have to be on the baseline yes i've just started with the pacers this year on their production crew yeah um i've done their main game camera and i've done both uh baseline cameras one was the uh oh most recent one i think was the clippers back on new year's eve and then there was another one oh the bulls game not too long ago i was down there for those well and you know it's a different thing like my job with the colts was to sort of be a liaison just a dude that introduces himself and, and is there to help the media mm-hmm. but when you're on the baseline it's a little intimidating to have dudes that size coming at you at the speed that they come at you know you don't realize how big they are until yeah. you're right next to them that is 100 percent true <laughs> but yeah. i think because I've only been down there maybe five times and it's, it's still just so surreal. Like that's my favorite team growing up. And this is kind of, I I always wanted to do some play-by-play stuff, but like, this is kind of like what I've always wanted to do. Like I'm working with like in this arena with these professional athletes, like this is, it's, it's surreal sometimes just sitting there. It doesn't even click that they're seven foot tall and could just puddle me over if they fall. But (laughs) yeah. It's still so cool just to be there. Did you ever go to the track to cover the 500? Are you a much of a racing guy? I'm not much of a racing guy. Yeah. We, I went out there. What was that? My, I think my freshman year going into my sophomore uh, to yeah. do updates for ICR. But I had, no, I've never, I never went out there for race day. <laughs> I've never been out, never been out there, never been much of a racing person. Well, it's loud for me and uh, very loud. <laughs> yeah. As someone with a disability, like there's, you can't go anywhere without walking unnecessarily far with the track. Right. That's the other aspect of it. Um, one thing that you mentioned that, that I do want to just um, put out there to folks, like you have to show up early and you're staying late most of the time when you're doing a remote, right? Oh, all the time. We uh, typically for a, a seven o'clock, football game or 7 30 basketball game we're showing up around like three o'clock the latest and that's when we're kind of pushing stuff because they want us to wait for this missile or whatever sure but yeah we're there typically you know i mean scott always said show up two hours early for or an hour hour and a half early for a broadcast we're there five six hours before setting up and sometimes it doesn't take the whole time and we'll get a couple hours to just relax and make sure everything's working right right but yeah, like you said, you'll stay late. You're there maybe an hour after the game at the most sometimes, and then you have your drive home. So it it's long nights for sure sometimes. What um you're you're doing this gig now, and uh, are you tied to I? Are you like an independent contractor? Can people hire you for whatever they need? Um yeah, I'm a freelance for uh okay. videographer. So if you needed uh someone to shoot something. Okay. I don't have the equipment. I'm a I'm a sports videographer. You got to provide your equipment. <laughs> I don't have any equipment. Um, so sure. any like production company stuff like that, I'm still able to do because I I do work with the Pacers still, and then just full time with ISC. I'm okay. not con- contractually 
Is that the word? Obligated for anything over there. I just have to okay. make sure it fits my schedule. Well, uh, I, I wanted to know um, if you had any future ambitions in, in broadcasting. Because, uh, you know, with, with the experience that you have, man, you can go practically in any direction you want. Uh, yeah, I'd love to to stay doing this kind of full time. Some of those freelancer gigs for like major sports, like uh, like Valley Sports, CBS, like just camera ops for a day, you can make up to like six hundred dollars. And yeah. it's just a lot of people do that stuff six, five, six days a week just for different different production companies. So right. it's all like you said earlier, it's all about who you know. And uh, hmm. I'm trying to I'm trying to meet those people. I've met a couple. <laughs> I haven't, I haven't quite met all of them yet. Well, hey, hopefully, you know, you, you'll feel the JBK bump uh, w- with this episode. But, uh, <laughs> hey, hopefully, fingers crossed. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll, I'll ask you, too, uh, you know, the Colts, <laughs> they, they're in their situation with, with Jeff Saturday, uh, and, and the Pacers are, are sort of on the upswing. Where do you see both of those teams going in the future? <sighs> it's so hard because we came into this Colts season with, like we were, we thought we were going to be good. Yeah. And it just went south mm-hmm. so fast. And it was just so mind blowing uh-huh. to think that this team was on the brink. It was like, oh, we just need this one piece. We just need one piece. And somehow we just fell apart so uh-huh. fast. It just, it was insane to, to witness. Yeah. Well, I, I can remember going to uh, Lucas Oil for, Jim Irsay's collection you know he had all of his guitars out there and then they were going to have Buddy Guy come and uh, have a celebratory concert for the before the start of the season and for them to tie the opening week and then Frank's gone within a matter of eight weeks it's just like I, I've never seen a season like it it's hard to describe what we what we just went through this past year with it Colts. just kind of gave you yeah. there were so many times of false hope because they, they beat the Chiefs and you're like okay like we could beat the Chiefs and then you just well, then we go get blown out by teams we shouldn't get blown out by and then there's the Eagles game where it's like oh they have a chance to beat the Eagles and they uh-huh. throw it away there it's just like where like you don't know how to feel about the team at all you don't it's yeah. like okay they're good here but they're not good here but they're bad, but they're not bad because they can beat good teams. So it's, <laughs> it's just so confusing. Yeah. Um, who do you think will be uh, – this is going to date this tape, but who cares? Who do you think will be the uh, head coach when it's all said and done? Man, I don't know. I don't – I'm so confused. They, what are they down to eight people now? Well, That's see, just... the problem I have, and this is across the board with all professional sports, uh, and I, I've been around athletes, and they've forgotten more than than I know, okay? But, like, when you're a professional athlete, do you really even need that much coaching? You all have your 10,000 hours. It's really more about the players that you have at your disposal, isn't it? It's about the players, but, yeah, I mean, coaching comes into it, especially when, when you have the rookies, and, like, some people just don't take – criticism well so you have to find the people who can talk to talk to those kind of people and get through to them it's it's a mix of both the play calling as well I mean if you can have the best players in the world but if you're not running a play to get somebody open yeah what's the point of having that player uh I would also be remiss uh Vince if I didn't ask about your fashion that you like to uh collect I'm a shirt collector I'm wearing Silk Sonic for you today you are a shoe enthusiast um what's your what 
types of shoes do you collect first of all um a little bit of everything mostly jordans okay um been big on the on the dunks lately they're very cheap and there's so many colors and they go good with so much stuff right um it's been kind of slow since i i left i was working at that shoe store full-time in college and then i left there back in uh in june last year i just couldn't do it anymore kind of took a leap and was doing only freelance stuff but after i left there kind of slowed down a little bit but but most yeah mostly jordans i got some yeezys and you know pretty pretty typical I would have a hard time wearing my collection because I mean, isn't part of it like you want to keep them clean and and looking nice in case you resell? (laughs) Yeah, and that's kind of where I'm at with a lot of them. A couple of them I've worn like two, three times. The other ones, not at all. Some I've worn into the ground and they're not worth anything. Once I get comfortable in one, it's like, eh, it's gotten a little dirty now. Screw it. Might as well wear it. (laughs) Um, Other than shoes, like are you are you that concerned with the rest of the clothing that you're wearing? As long as the colors match, I don't really care too much about the brand. Um, yeah, I try to. I'll, I'll make sure I don't like mix and match Adidas and and Nike, but okay, yeah, I don't really care too much about my branding. Just just make it look good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I know that you're a behind the scenes guy now, but uh, would you want to start a podcast or or do anything on air for that kind of experience? No, not really. I remember I it's it's so funny to bring it up too. I remember back, I think it was freshman sophomore year, and it was for radio. Scott was making us make our own podcast. Right. And I was one of those guys. I was like, just give me like give me a podcast to edit kind of thing. Cause I didn't didn't know what to talk about. Didn't I just I'm not a big talker. So I can't see myself sitting there talk for an hour or half hour by myself about one topic for for so long well <laughs> the thing is like it seems like if you live in a certain area probably new york or uh california like you need a podcast to have a driver's license it seems like it seems like most people have a podcast like everybody kind of has one yeah i mean it's hard to build any sort of audience uh, as, as fun as this is and i'm documenting a lot of great stuff a lot of great stories like yours um it's like how many people listen 40 <laughs> you know that's the truth one listener at a time you know Absolutely. i mean it's all about how you how you brand it how you put your clips out i think social media and clip like just clips of long videos in general yeah is they can go so viral so fast it's just all about content what's going to grab someone's attention for that short 10 seconds that they're scrolling through and make them be like oh what was that and click on it, and then they see another clip and they're like, oh, that was interesting and yeah. Now they're watching another clip and they're like, oh, let me go check out this podcast. Perfect segue into the next one, man. Uh, if people wanted to reach out, what's the best way to do that? Um, you can email me the underscore M I R E L E Z at yahoo.com, or you can find my Twitter at the M I R E L E Z five eight, and that is my Instagram as well. Okay, I believe, I think. I think they're all the same. 58 is my number in high school, and, you know, V. Morales makes it kind of easy. Yeah, that's it. That's everything. <laughs> all right, my man. Well, hey, uh, I really appreciate you being on the show. You're one of uh, one of my better friends from UND, and uh, it was great to document your story, man. I'm sure it's just the start, and uh, we'll have you on again down the line. 
Thanks. Yeah, maybe when uh when I'm running my own production at Fox Sports or something like that, <laughs> we can all get together. Yeah, man. Don't, don't forget me when, when you get to that point. Uh, folks, to hear this again, you can check out my website, jbkonair.com. You can also get the podcast anywhere by searching my initials, J-B-K-O-N-A-I-R. And if you like the podcast, you can also donate to the show with the link in the description. Until next time, have a great day and a better tomorrow.